You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. So as some of you know, I'm a big fan of class participation. Uh, And so when I ask a question, 90% of the time it is not a rhetorical question. It is a full-on, like, I would love for you in your seat to respond to me as though I'm sitting across from you at a table being like, how y'all doing today? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, money. For all, that last one was really, really passionate. Let's go. Um, But hey, uh, good morning. I I pray you're well. Uh, Maybe even better than your uh, expressions about how good you're doing indicate. Uh, my name is Josh. For I think everyone here knows me. If you're online, you don't know me. My name is Josh. I, I have the pleasure of serving as the lead pastor at Refuge. Uh, and I'm excited to continue our time uh, in worship with you today by, by working through our time in Scripture. Now, I want to be very upfront with you before we get started. Um, I was out of town on a small retreat with several pastor buddies of mine this week uh, for the majority of the week. And when that happens, a couple of things happen. One, uh, pastorally, my heart is always so encouraged that it pays dividends off for weeks after this, right? Like I get pumped up and like God starts speaking to you about where you're going and and what the Lord wants to do amongst us as a body. And and it's really incredible. Uh, But the other thing that happens is you have way less time to prepare for the sermon you're going to preach that upcoming Sunday. So I say all that to say uh, that I'm going to be really tied into these notes right now, right? Like if you're looking at me, there is a fair chance that I'm going to be looking down, all right, uh, trying to track with my thoughts because I want us to get out of here in a timely manner. And if you know Josh Guerrero, when he's just going off the fly, uh, it does not get shorter, friends. Josh Guerrero going off the fly, there is a 100% chance it gets longer. So I'm going to try to tether myself to these notes as, as much as possible today. So if I don't make as much eye-to-eye contact with you as I usually do, that's the reason why. Sound good? All right. Y'all hungry. Y'all going to get hungry. By 12 o'clock, you'll be like, that sounds good, bro. Just, that sounds good. Uh, so... Uh, hey, I'm extra excited today, not just to be with you, not just to share the word with you, but in addition to that, to start a new series called Therefore Go, where we're going to be focusing on uh, the rhythm of evangelism. Now, you might be asking, what the heck is the rhythm of evangelism? And, and uh, thank you for asking. I'd love to answer that question. Uh, about two months ago, uh, we began a set of sermon series focusing on spiritual rhythms, what we call spiritual rhythms. Now, you might be asking, what the heck are rhythms? And that's okay. We're going to keep deducing this until we get to the bottom of it. Rhythms are really the ideas of habits, right? Routines uh, that we want to interject into our lives as followers of Jesus. uh, Understanding that God will use these rhythms, these habits, these routines uh, to draw us closer to Jesus, to encourage our hearts and to empower us uh, to live with purpose and to live with a mission. Uh, And now this came about uh, because uh, for the first time a while back, it felt like we were getting more back to normal in our day-to-day lives, right? Uh, Not completely normal. I know like we were, when we started these set of sermon series, we were hanging out and everybody was like, like, what's a mask, right? And now we're kind of into the space where we're like, hey, we're encouraging masking and X, Y, and Z. But then in addition, we know that like COVID numbers can go up, they can go down. And so all that's happening. But nonetheless, the fact that we're gathered today, the fact that we're all that good stuff, indicates that there is some semblance of getting back slowly but surely to a normal. And and with that normal, to to jump back into different rhythms, habits, routines in other areas of our life, right? 
in our social lives. Maybe you were hanging out with friends more than you did for the past 18 months when you were just sitting on your house and you've watched 19,000 hours of Netflix in the past 18 months, right? Maybe now you're finally getting out and having a little bit of a social life, right? At least two people are like, dude, that was me. Like, I saw it on their face. They're like, yep, I, I have binged so many shows. It's amazing. Uh, or, right, maybe you're going out more now. And so maybe you are, like, trying to go out and you're, you're out watching the Austin FC game last night, which they absolutely killed and won in fantastic fashion and, and led me to really glorifying God and thanking him for not breaking my heart again through supporting this team. But, or maybe it's your work life, right? And so you're getting back to the office and you're meeting uh, maybe coworkers that you haven't met yet at all or seeing them again after not having seen them in a while. And you're seeing the effects of the whole pandemic time on them when you're like, you picked up a, a little, little few pounds, right? Like, uh, yes, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, so there's work rhythms, but then maybe there's family rhythms. Maybe you are getting back with, with grandparents or cousins or someone that you like hanging out with. And maybe you're sending your kids back to school. And so they're going back to school after uh, basically a year of canceled classes and online learning. And so you're figuring out a new schedule there. All of these new rhythms that are coming back as life slow but surely gets back to normal. And in the midst of that, it can be really easy to forget uh, that we actually have spiritual rhythms that we're called to return to as well, right? Rhythms that, again, do more than just help our loneliness or increase our production or, or change our schedules, but rather rhythms that point us to the true meaning of the true purpose of our life. That remind us that we were made for more than simply working, simply building our home, simply paying our bills, simply leaving a legacy. But rather to remind us that we're called to something so much more powerful, so much more meaningful, so much more eternal. Specifically that of our relationship with God and what that relationship means for us. But also, hear me, what that relationship means for those around us. What it means for the world around us. That's why these rhythms are important, because they help us focus on what's actually important in our lives. They remind our hearts and our souls where they should be satisfied and where they should run for satisfaction. And maybe no more, no spiritual rhythm does this more uh, than that of the rhythm, the routine, the habit of evangelism, that is sharing our faith. Now, based on statistics, I know that even in a room this size, right, this is not a mega church environment by any stretch of the imagination, but even in a room this size, there are some people uh, that may frown upon the idea of sharing our faith, of actively sharing our faith, of interjecting ourselves into the lives of other people and sharing our beliefs and sharing what we believe is the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, the reality is our culture sees that idea as fundamentally wrong. In a culture where uh, personal beliefs are considered each individual's personal ultimate truth, where phrases like, you'll share your truth or, or speak your truth are so easily thrown around in people's individual ideas. My idea of right and wrong and then your idea of right and wrong are, are the ultimate judge of what's right and wrong for you and for me. It seems aggressive, it seems offensive, crazy, countercultural to share a belief system that basically points us to a God who has a very specific view of right and wrong and then to say, submit to that view of right and wrong. Give yourself to that view of right and wrong. 
affirm that if your belief measures up with his belief, then that's right. But if your belief does not measure up to his belief, it contradicts his belief, then repent and change your mind and change your heart and and ask the Lord to help you believe that what his view, uh, his view of right is, is the right that we want to believe and live out. In a culture like ours, that idea is absolutely crazy talk, right? That is a crazy talk uh, type of suggestion. And as a result of that cultural pressure, the reality is many Christians, especially younger Christians, which marks a large percentage of our congregation here, are themselves starting to see the act of evangelism or sharing our faith is wrong. In a 2019 article, Barna Research Group reported that 49%, half, Half of younger Christians believed it was wrong to share your personal faith with the person of another faith in hopes that that person will one day follow your faith. Half believed that is a wrong thing to do. Half. And that was largely tied to the belief that if you disagreed with someone, particularly if you disagreed with someone publicly, then that meant you judge the other person. The belief that simply disagreeing with another person meant that you automatically judge that person as being wrong, ignorant, stupid, X, Y, and Z. That's a belief that nearly 40% of young, young Christians believed. And when I say young Christians, I don't mean like 18. I mean like anybody under the age of 40. Now, th- those, those, those stats skew a little differently the older an individual gets, but the fact that younger Christians who are leading the next generation of Christians into the future have these beliefs as a concern. And hear me, friends, what I don't want to do is completely trash those views, okay, trash those stances, because hear me, uh, many of them are just mixes of the culturally wrong beliefs we hold, but, but also very real feelings of compassion, very real feelings of gentleness and a desire to respect other people. And at root, I don't believe that the reservations many young Christians have against sharing our faith is uh, just because they don't believe the Bible or, or rooted in just like a hard heart or disobedience uh, or something like that. But, but rather, I believe that these reservations are present and are growing uh, because the church has done a poor job helping us see what evangelism, what sharing our faith really is. We've often in church boiled down the idea of evangelism or sharing our faith uh, to, to basically trying to get people to stop sinning. To win people more than to Jesus, to Christian cultural norms that we want to get you to obey, even if it means that I'm not really paying attention to your actual life and heart. But if you can start to talk like me and can start to listen to the same corny music that I, sorry, same, same music that I listen to, right? If you can do all that, then that means I've done my job and that was evangelism. Right. And maybe even the worst boil down the idea of evangelism is simply getting people to attend our churches so that we can actually pay for the building that we want to get one day. Right. That these would be the ideas that the church is largely kind of kind of what is it when, when, when the when the islands ro- rotate around the sun? I'm, I'm glad y'all are with me here. All right. <laughs> Orbit. There we go. Shout out to you, whoever you are. Um, right, that, that these are the ideas that, that the church has used to orbit around evangelism, culture. It's just stop sinning, get people to church. But praise God, Scripture paints a very different picture of evangelism than the one I just depicted. Okay, praise God, Scripture tells us of a grand story of God healing, redeeming, and making right a world that suffers with so much 
brokenness and shows us how evangelism is more than just the exchange of ideas, but a declaration of good news that God uses to change lives. And through those changed lives to make new and make right the world that he created and hear me, listen to me extraordinarily closely, the world that he still loves, the world that he still loves, that he still looks upon with deep affection, that he still looks upon with deep compassion, the people that he still looks upon with, with deep love, right? That God would use this idea of evangelism to accomplish redeeming and making them new. That's what we're going to talk about today for the rest of our time. Trust me, it's not that much longer. Uh, it's just when you introduce the sermon series, you got to do so much groundwork before you get into it. Uh, and so that was the groundwork. That's what we're going to talk about, not just today, but over the next few weeks. This rhythm of evangelism that God uses in such powerful ways in our lives, in the lives of the people around us, and how much we lose out when we actually don't get into that rhythm in our lives right now. And so we're going to go ahead and start this sermon. He's taking a look at what evangelism, evangelism uh, really is according to scripture. And we're going to see that from the words of Jesus uh, in Matthew 28. Uh, we're going to take a look at that. We're going to really use that as a launching pad to talk about a few different things over the next few minutes. And as we work through uh, these ideas in this text today, the main idea I want you to hold on to is this. It is not going to be up there. So you, I want you to listen intently to what I'm fixing to say. Uh, the idea is this, that it's through understanding God's great love for our hurting world, that we understand the beauty and power of evangelism. I'm going to say that again because I want you to grasp what I'm saying. It's through understanding God's great love for our hurting world that we understand the beauty and power of evangelism. Again, to do this, we're going to spend just a couple minutes in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, examining Jesus' words, and I want us to take away three ideas from that text. The first is humanity's story. We're going to take a look at humanity's story. Okay, we have a story, not just as individuals, but collectively as people. And then we're going to take a look at God's response to that story. And after that, after we take a look at God's response, we're going to take a look at our responsibility. Our responsibility after hearing and understanding God's response. As we get started, let's go ahead and read this text again today. I wanted to kind of reprocess after throwing so much of that out there, kind of fire hydrating you with all the numbers and stuff like that. I'm going to go ahead and read it again. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says this. Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Uh, before we, we jump in the rest of the time, I'm just going to pray over the next few minutes that we have together, uh, really for myself more than, than for y'all, but, but would you join me in that? Father, thank you so much again for this morning as we... Um, Take a few minutes to really uh, tease out not just this text, but several texts around uh, really the book of Matthew. Uh, I ask that you would just clear my mind of anything that's kind of clouding me up, any thoughts that I have about anything else that's going on besides this moment where we believe you have come to speak to us collectively uh, because you are our God and you are our king. And you desire to work amongst us today. And so we love you. Thank you. We place this time in your hands in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. All right. So as we dive in, it's important that we set context. We do this every week, right? We've got to set a little bit of context, set the stage for what we're going to be doing. And really, today, we're kind of setting the stage for the whole series. Uh, and so today, we're reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, it's one of four Gospels that is... What are the four Gospels? All right. 
That was like a 40% accuracy rate. I don't know if it's because like only 40% of the people knew or only 40% of the people actually spoke out loud, but I'll take it for right now. We got to keep moving on. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's right. And, and each gospel is really a compilation, a, a bringing together of accounts and stories about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And each of these gospels, whether it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, uh, tends to use these stories to emphasize different truths about Jesus. So they oftentimes don't have dramatically different stories, uh, but they all use those stories in different ways to emphasize a different part about Jesus. For example, Mark is really about Jesus being king. King, king of the world, king of heaven, eventually king of our hearts and our lives. That's how Mark uses the stories to try to tease out this idea about Jesus, that Jesus is king. John uses a lot of those same stories to, to tell us about how Jesus is also divine. He's king, yes, but he's also divine. He's God with us. He's the God that created everything and knows everything. And in Matthew, uh, these stories are used by the disciple Matthew that we read about all the time in the Gospels to present the stories of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, uh, but to emphasize him being the Messiah, him being the Messiah. That is, uh, to put it more plainly, him being a savior, him being a deliverer. Think of a text like Matthew 1, 20 through 21. That says, Joseph, talking to Jesus, earthly, kind of like adopted father, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus. The name Jesus literally means God saves. That's why God wants uh, Joseph to name the child Jesus, because it literally means in his very name, God is saving people. Matthew wants us to know and to see Jesus as this savior, as this deliverer, as this redeemer. Now, maybe you're extraordinarily comfortable with Christianity, and maybe you're not. And here's the thing. I don't want to leave you in the lurch if you're not familiar with Christianity. So you might be asking, what the heck is God saving us from? That's the exact right question to be asking. Because to understand what it truly means for Jesus to be our savior, we have to understand what he's saving us from. We have to understand what he's saving us from. And that's where we have to understand humanity's story. Humanity's story. If we don't understand humanity's story, the idea of sharing our faith makes zero percent sense. Because how could I save someone if they've built a life that they really never want to leave? But that's the exact problem, is that they will leave that life. And the rescue plan of God is a direct solution to that truth. But in order to understand that, you have to, again, understand humanity's story. The Bible uh, begins humanity's story in Genesis. Now, calm down. I'm not going to go through the whole Bible right now. But uh, it starts in Genesis in the Garden of Eden where Scripture depicts a perfect relationship between God and everything he's created. Now, for us, uh, if you're part of the modern world, right, you kind of have this moment where you're like, is, you automatically jump to like, is Genesis real? Is all this stuff I'm reading real? That's kind of not the point. Right. The, 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 if you're asking that question, that's the only thing you're focused on. You're probably missing a lot of what Genesis is doing. More than giving us a play by play, Genesis is meant uh, to communicate a few very specific ideas to us. And one of those ideas is the origin of human suffering and the origin of sin. This idea that through that, though humanity uh, was made to be a steward and made to be an overseer over the creation that God had made um, in a way that caused everything to flourish, that caused our life and other lives to flourish and to be built up and to be beautiful uh, from the smallest insect to the largest whale, right? We surrendered that identity and surrendered this identity now through what the Bible describes as sin, 
right? This idea of intentionally or unintentionally disobeying God. And when sin enters the world, it plunges all of creation, again, from humans to insects, from trees to algae, into darkness, into brokenness. Humans lose our perfect, intimate connection with God, and we begin to search any and everywhere to find meaning, fulfillment, satisfaction, to find the same things that we lost in that perfect relationship. And so we're sent out into the world, and we begin to try to find it in our jobs and in our homes and in our comforts and in our pleasures and our spouses and our families and our kids. And we search for it in feelings like approval and security and control and maybe power all of which were never supposed to be the end all of our uh, beings, of our stories. And every time any one of them falls short, we become angry. We become angry looking at them thinking, well, this must be just like a crappy thing. This just must not be worth anything. Because what could it be worth if it's not meeting the thing that I needed to meet in my heart? And as a consequence, we begin to disregard some parts of creation as less valuable and useful as other parts of creation. And so because of sin and because of how the whole of creation has been plunged into darkness, now the beggar on the street is less valuable than the king in the castle. And wealth becomes more important than nature. And so creation, uh, people, resources, systems, structures, all become something that you and I begin to see uh, as a usable resource, something we can just take from and gain from without any consideration of what it means for anyone else or anything else, including the world. And this is the very same thing we were initially created to care for, to steward, to make beautiful, to make new. If you're anything like me, hopefully just from the way I said that, you can start to relate to this. Relate to those moments that you feel empty, that you feel tired. And so you go to certain people, you go to certain friends, maybe your family or or maybe a a place or an experience. And you place your hope in them, the hope that they can make you feel better, even if just for a moment. And hear me, sometimes they do. I'm not telling you that they, they absolutely don't. Sometimes they do. Even, again, if just for a moment, but other times they don't. And what happens to our hearts when they don't in the anger that we feel, in the disappointment that we feel, in the disapproval that we feel, in those moments is the exact opposite of how God designed the world in our lives to go. I experienced this exact thing uh, last week, actually this past week on, on Thursday. As I mentioned, I was out of town, small retreat, pastor buddies. Um, and it was the first time uh, in a long time I've been away from my kids for a while. I got two kids, a three-year-old daughter and a, a two-year-old son. And um, if you know anything about me, you know that I absolutely love my kids. Like, my kids ain't here today, and I miss them already, right? Like, I, it's just, I, can, I can't stand being away from my children. I can't stand being away from my wife. I love my family to pieces. Um, and being gone almost three days, I, I was hurting, I was sad, and the thing was... I was expecting them to also be hurt and to be sad. And so in my mind, coming back Thursday, uh, I started building up this picture of this triumphant, glorious return where where I was going to come in and the air was going to be filled with like yells of daddy and hugs and and all the beautiful things that make your heart kind of like flutter and and kind of all that good stuff. That's what I was picturing in my mind uh, and really just embracing each other. But when I got home, that's completely not what happened. 
right? My, my son was asleep. My wife was tired from being alone with the kids for almost three days. And so she was like, oh, dude, I'm asleep. Um, in, in addition to that, my oldest, our daughter, was sitting on the couch watching a show. And when she saw me, she barely looked up at me. She was like, dude, Wildcrats. Like, I'm, you are second place to Wildcrats 100% of the time. Uh, and so there were no cheers. There were no celebrations. There were no hugs. Uh, beyond the one I basically forced my daughter to give me. I was like, no, you're going to hug me, um, right? Like, and here's the thing. In that moment, my heart became really angry. My heart became angry and it became resentful. Because I'd built up these stories in my mind about how my loneliness, my sadness, those deep parts of my heart were going to be healed the moment I walked into my house. Because that little girl, that little boy, that woman were somehow going to make everything okay. And that, friends, is a pressure that they were never supposed to have on them. They were never supposed to have that pressure on them. That anger is unfair and wrong because the expectation I placed on those children and that woman were expectations that should have never been on them in the first place. But that's the darkness that we're talking about. The separation from God that drives each and every one of us to go find our healing, our wholeness, our completeness somewhere in some way. And when it doesn't work and it doesn't sustain, we become angry, resentful, and we devalue it in our hearts. And all of a sudden, our systems are broken. There's prejudice. There's hate. There's anger, resentment, sadness, brokenness. That's the reality. That, friends, is the story of humanity. Now, eventually the TV turned off, the kids woke up, and like, don't be sad for me, right? Like, it all worked out. Uh, but, but that's how subtle this reality of sin, friends, in living in the midst of, of creation's brokenness, that's how subtle it can be. You get wrapped up into it, and you don't even know it. The snap of a finger, you have... You have built these broken worlds of expectation that come crumbling down the moment you get lost and the moment you're let down, I should say, by these things. That's the world we live in. And it's everywhere you look. Every person, just take a second and look around. Every person in this room that you can see is struggling in that same way on some level just by the sheer fact that we live in the world that we live in. They're searching, we're searching for some variation, a combination of places and feelings to replace those feelings and those, 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 that wholeness lost to sin. That's the narrative and history, right, of sin. That's, that, that's, that's our story, that creation damned us in the present and now has set us to be damned for eternity, right? That's the narrative. But praise God again, that's not where scripture ends our story. Because God doesn't just leave us there. He, he responds to that brokenness. He responds to that story. And God's response comes in the form of a savior, of a Messiah. That's what makes Matthew so powerful. Is that it's not just the idea of some savior that's optional, but, but it's the savior that's saving us from the narrative that we may not even recognize we're lost in. But God didn't say, figure it out and then come get saved. He said, I will send a savior. I will send a child to make right what sin, brokenness, disobedience has made wrong. And this is what the book of Matthew is about, this savior. 
And this Jesus isn't just any human. He's the king of the world, right? This is Mark. He's the divine son of God. This is in John, and he's the Messiah. He's the savior. He comes with a mission. Hear me, he comes with a mission to make right what sin has made wrong and to rescue and to redeem and to restore what sin and the enemy, our flesh, all of them together have tried to take away. But he doesn't do it by establishing a government and changing all the rules. Right? He doesn't do it by making new laws and, and forcing our hand uh, to, to just change the way we act. No, because laws can be broken. It seems uh, that, that though the story of humanity uh, struggles with laws pretty often, if you haven't noticed, if you read through the Bible, he does something so much more powerful than just, just set new laws. Right? He lives a perfect life, the one all humans were meant to live. One marked by justice and compassion, by love and by respect. He shows God's perfect character to the world around him. He lives in, in perfect, restored relationship with God the Father. He turns to God uh, for support, for strength, for those feelings and needs that we all have and go running to other places to try and satisfy. He does what is meant to be done and runs to God the Father and experiences that perfect relationship with him. He shows us with every step, with every word from his mouth with every thought how creation was always meant to be he earns every promise and every good gift from God he fills the communities around him that he's a part of with joy and with flourishing it's amazing right think about a text like Matthew 20 25 through 28 where Jesus calls where it says Jesus called them over and said you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and those in high positions act as tyrants over them it must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The world that Jesus begins to create is a world that's contrary to, to the brokenness that surrounds us because no longer is power the greatest value, but humility is. Right. Jesus begins to show this beautiful new creation because because to be first now you have to lay your life down and serve others. That's what being great means in his world. Right. The, the butler and servant in Jesus day was considered the lowest of the lows. Yet Jesus said that individual who lays down his life for the sake of others, that is what true greatness looks like in the mind of God. He comes in to begin to reverse the brokenness that's present, that that darkness and the, that those choices and those longings that we have tried to fill by by building structures that allow us to be over other people and, and allow some people in this day to have slaves and servants that they could treat poorly. Jesus now comes in and through his conduct heart life begins to reverse all that just by living in this radically different way by telling others to live in a radically different way yet he gives himself to die on the cross he takes the cross and takes on the guilt of sin the bondage of sin the bondage of brokenness our isolation from god um on the cross and in our place why why would jesus die why wouldn't he just keep going around showing us what a new creation is supposed to look like what everything was meant to be hear me friend i want you to listen to this because jesus goal was not to show us what new was jesus goal was to make us new 
It would be one thing for Jesus to simply show us what new was supposed to be and then say, hey, do your best. And when you fail, it'll be all right. The goal was to say, I am going to take the cross in your place to take the judgment that you deserve, to take the bondage that's on you so that you who are in bondage and you who are guilty could be forgiven and more made new. The the operation, Jesus' death and resurrection, the mission, the rescue plan uh, is so that he can take the it really shows, I should say, that he can take the darkest of sin, the emptiest of sadness, the strongest of burdens and reign victorious over all of them and invite us to experience that victory alongside of them. That was the point of the mission. That was Jesus plan. Right. He's defeated the powers of sin that separated us from experiencing the love and new life that's found in our heavenly father. Friends, we now we come to Jesus, not so that we can come find some some cushy feeling or some some fun, uh, new uh, 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 kind of sense of satisfaction. But we come to him to be made free from the bondage that drives dissatisfaction. Right. We come to him to be made free from the things that tell us we're insufficient as we come and are forgiven and made new, turning away from our old lives that whisper the lies of brokenness and sin to us over and over and over again and taking on the new life and the truth of who he is and what he's done in our lives to make us new, forgiven, accepted, loved. That's the truth of God's response. And now if you've come to Jesus, that's the truth of your life. What an amazing reversal. What an amazing interjection from the author of life into the story of humanity to say, no, where you've taken yourself is not where I'm going to leave you. I'm going to respond to the brokenness and make you new. What you can't do for yourself, the brokenness that you've never been able to shake, the sadness that has reigned over your life, the the things that have caused you harm that you've seen your parents go through, your grandparents go through, the things that when you sit there in your house and look at your children and pray to God, they don't go through. God has interjected himself into the narrative of the world in order to not just make us feel better, but to make us new and to save us, to redeem and to restore that which was lost through sin but is now made new and alive through Jesus that's God's response that's our story now that's your story now the story of being approved loved saved forgiven holy filled with purpose No longer purposeless, no longer looking to your job for purpose or your family for purpose or or anything else for purpose. But but now being filled and marked with the restored purpose, the purpose from before, the purpose to show God's good character to every single person around us as we experience God's loving, gracious, caring character in our own lives through our relationship with him. That's the new story of your life. To show, I want to say it again, to show God's good character as we experience God's loving, gracious, caring character in our own lives. I want you to note what I'm saying at that sentence, though. To show other people, to show the people around you God's good character that you're experiencing in your own life. That's that's important. Because hear me, it's easy to sit in this room and begin to think, well, God's great rescue mission happens to me. And then what happens from there? But, but, 
That's not the way it goes. You see, God's great rescue mission doesn't happen just to you, friends. God's great rescue mission happens through you, friends. The character that we so benefit from now as we sit here and hear the promises of God's gospel, we hear uh, the glory and beauty of his love and his grace and his mercy is, is a truth and a character that the people around you in your life are desperately in need of. The point of our text today in Matthew 28, to go out and to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you until the end of the age. Jesus, Jesus isn't asking us to make disciples because he needs fame, love, or people's affections or obedience. He's asking us to make disciples because he's rescuing the world and everything in it. And his plan A to do that is you. His plan A to do that is me. Because we have experienced such great love, we are now called to partner with Jesus in rescuing and redeeming a world that's fallen into brokenness, sadness, hurt, judgment because of the sin that separates us from God. Yet God has made a way through Jesus and the one that carries that good news into the world is none other than you. I want you to hear that there is a world of brokenness crushed under the weight of sin and judgment and guilt and shame. And there is a news out there that God has made a way to be restored back to God, to be made new, to be made whole. And the one who carries that message into the world is you. What an amazing gift. I want you to look around this room again. I want you to look around this room again. The last time I told you to do that, it was to take inventory of the people that struggle and wrestle against the brokenness of the world that happens as a consequence of sin. Because of the work of Jesus, I want you to now look around the room and understand that this is the same group of people that also carries the good news that that brokenness is not the end of the story. The same people you looked at 25 minutes ago, 10, whatever it was, Right, that people that you looked at and thought they're struggling along with me is now when you look the same people that carry the good news that that's not the end of the story but that God has made a way. But hear me, friend. I want you to take one more look. And I know you can't do it here, but I want you to take one more look at yourself. The only way that this idea is going to make sense is through understanding how deeply loved saved, accepted, and knew you are. If you have not grasped that thought today, the idea of telling someone else that there is hope in their life because the brokenness that they walk in now is not the end of their story, that will seem like poppycock to you if you cannot look in the mirror and truly understand and believe that the brokenness I'm walking through right now, the hurt that I've struggled with, the things that have marked my life, maybe in my life for generations past, that that's not the end of my story, of your story. Friends, that truth has to be anchored in our heart or else none of this makes sense. Friends, none of this makes sense unless we're living in a way that reminds us of the truth of that redemption. 
unless we're living in a community that points us to the truth of Jesus and what he's done, unless our minds and our hearts are set upon the beauties of Jesus so that we can remember that truth for ourselves. And then we go out and start to look at the brokenness around us and say, I may not have the words, but I have the news of the one who reigns victorious over the things you're going through. And I'm going to share that with you today. Can I pray for you? Hey, hey, bud, I'm praying for you. Can I pray with you? Can we pray together? I'm going to pray to Jesus. I believe that he can move. I believe that he can make you new. I believe the things you've wrestled with, the things you've struggled with, can be made proper and can be made right in his hands. Right? That anchors that movement. The truth of what he's done in your life anchors that movement. When you go out there into a world that is starving for the news that you hold, the only thing that motivates that is understanding how much that news is true for you. And so I'm running short on time. Uh, and so we're going to revisit this text several times over the course of this, ser- uh, this sermon series over the next few weeks. But I'm excited for this time as we begin to understand this idea of evangelism. Again, not just through this idea of exchanging ideas. Of, of saying, hey, can you believe this because it seems more right than what you believe, but rather understanding that sharing our faith is the act of partnering with God to redeem and rescue the world around us, right? That's what we're doing. But friend, that story, that new story in the life of the people around you, in the life that God is going to use you to touch, it starts with you. And so if you have any questions about what your own identity looks like as a son or a daughter of God, if you have any question about how God can make you whole and makes your life new, if there are struggles in your life that you're like, man, I cannot simply overcome this. I feel helpless to this. Man, come talk to me. Come talk to me. Talk to Sean, who was leading worship. Talk to one of the community group leaders that was, that was up here. That's why we have spaces like that. To begin to share, and as we share, to be in a community that points us back to the truth of Jesus and helps us understand how the work of Jesus makes us whole. That's going to be what we talk about over the next few weeks. And I'm praying that it's going to do something powerful in your lives. And hear me, I'm praying it's going to do something powerful in the lives of the people that are around you now and the people that you can't even imagine being around you in the future. To God's glory and really for the good of you and those around you again. So let's go ahead and pray uh, and finish up. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you um, for the narrative and story of the gospel that comes in and, and responds to the brokenness that we've created. Every person in this room knows what it's like to struggle with brokenness and sin that has hurt us and has hurt others. And if that was the end of our story, what a tragedy that would be. But we praise you today, Father, because that was not the end of the story. You interjected yourself into that story to break up strongholds, to forgive, to redeem, to make new. And now in this room, we don't stand before you as those that that are broken and those that are guilty, but those that are forgiven and those that are made new. As those that run to you and know you and trust you and fall into your arms and have a a never-ending source of wholeness, of approval, of satisfaction, of love, when the world around us tells us that we have to be this, have to be that, that we have to be one and we have to be the other, if we want approval, power, influence, security, yet we rest in the arms of the God who accomplished the things that we need and desire on the cross thank you for that good news 
Father, let that good news permeate our lives and allow us to run as we understand it more in our own lives. Allow us to run unceasingly, unrelentingly to be those that take that good news to a world that desperately needs it, a world that you are working in to redeem, restore, and rescue. Father, let us be witnesses of that great truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith. 